you like. The last uh, seven Sundays, I've tried to bring uh, seven sermons answering the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And the reason for that was to create in our hearts fresh affection for the Savior. We all know how it goes. Our love kind of goes up and down. You know, some days you love your job, some days you hate it. Some days you love your husband or wife, some days you're putting up with them. Some days you love your kids and you'd give, you'd give a kidney for them. Some days you wouldn't give two cents for them. <laughs> Our affections go up and down with people. And people who are Christians, we also go up and down in our affections for Christ. goes up and down, ebbs and flows. I've been going to church a long time. I've been a Christian a long time. And I know how it goes. There are times when we are just so pleased and thrilled with God that, man, we eat, sleep, and drink the scriptures. But there are other times when it's like stereo instructions. Worship becomes a pain in the neck, a burden to us. And over the last seven Sundays, I tried to preach about Jesus to create in our hearts, you know, new love for him, new love for the Savior. Now, I want you to know this morning, my friends, is that Jesus is the most glorious person who has ever lived. You've never met the most glorious person who's ever lived unless you met Jesus. Jesus is the divine Son of God, and he lived a holy life. And then at Calvary on the cross, he willingly and intentionally and with a heart full of love, he died for sinners. I want you to listen to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him, this is God hath made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet Peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the atonement, the reconciliation, the bringing together. This is what Jesus has done for us, and it's worthy of, it's worthy of appreciation. It's worthy of love. It's worthy of affection. This is what Christ has done for what kind of people? Sinners. Sinners. Big ones and little ones professional grade sinners, and rank amateurs. This is what Christ has done. He has come to save sinners. And as a person who is a saved sinner, as a person who's come to know something about the grace of God, I'm pretty 
I'm pretty happy about Jesus. I'm pretty in awe of Jesus. Last Sunday, of course, was Easter Sunday. We talked about the resurrection of Christ and the evidence that our sins have been paid for and that salvation is available to sinners is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was raised again for our justification. Jesus came out of the ground not only to prove his power over sin, death, and the grave, not only to show that God has all power, but he came out of the grave and he went to heaven to the right hand of the Father, sitting on the throne in the true temple in the heavens as proof that sin had been paid for. The proof that sin had been paid for. Now, that's what, a Christ, that's what I've tried to instill in your hearts in the last seven weeks. Now, this morning I want to answer a different, different question, and that is, who are we? <laughs> we talked about who Jesus was, but let's talk about who we are this morning. Those persons who are Christians, those who have come to faith in Christ. And we'll look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I want to talk to you about living as a servant of God. Being a Christian means that we are the children, that we are the servants of God. And all believers are the servants of Him. We have become citizens of His kingdom. We live in His, under His realm, under His authority. So we don't get to pick and choose the rules. We don't get to pick and choose how things are supposed to be conducted in His kingdom. That's His job. In this kingdom, we live by kingdom rules or kingdom principles. And that's what I want to talk to you about for a little while this morning. I want you to notice Colossians 3. And I'm going to read down through uh, verse 17. But we're not going to go word by word, phrase by phrase. I promise you that. Colossians chapter 3. The apostle says, If ye then be risen with Christ, resurrected or saved... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the sons of disobedience, in the which ye also once walked when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in, the knowledge, in knowledge after the image of him that created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness and longsuffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on Love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 
And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by him. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. I want you to notice verses 1 and 2. I want you to notice the word if. 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 It's kind of an important word, isn't it? If. Have you ever met somebody and they said, now if you'll go down this street and make a right and then a left, you'll find the nicest little ice cream parlor or coffee shop if, if you do this. Paul says, if you are risen with Christ, if you have been born again, if you have come to know the Lord, he's going to say, this is how you should be if you know the Lord. This is, these are not things that are binding upon persons who do not know Christ who have not been born again, but those persons who say, I'm a Christian, I belong to Christ, I'm one of God's people. If that's you, Paul wants us to pay attention. If that is you, if you are saved, if you are risen with Christ, Paul says, set your affections not down here, but set your affections above. Don't be consumed with this world and what's going on on the right hand and left hand. Don't be so tore up about what's going on with America or with the world or with the nations. Don't be so concerned about coronavirus. (laughs) Don't be so concerned about grades. (laughs) Don't be so concerned about gas prices and our affections. Our loves should be set above if we have been resurrected. If you've been risen with Christ, if you've been born again, seek those things that are above. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. Why? Verse 3, because you're dead to it. For ye are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is a part of the great wonder of what it is to be a Christian, is that we have union with Christ in the sense that when Jesus was crucified on Calvary, you who believe in Jesus were also crucified there. You died on Calvary. You say, but I wasn't there. But you're in Christ. In Christ, you were crucified at the cross. And so this world means nothing to you. This is not supposed to. This is part of the great wonder of it. We share in the identity of Christ. Down in Texas, we had a, a guy in the church, one of our deacons, and uh, one time I was in there with him counting the offering, and I, was, and I saw the check that he and his wife had written to the church for their giving. And the, the check said, Mr. Scotty Bristow, and then it said, Mrs. Scotty Bristow. And I said, I said to him, I said, Scotty, what's the deal with this check? I said, I thought, your wife's name was Anne. He said, it is, but she's also Scotty Bristow. But he said, because we were married. She shares in my identity. It's Mr. and Mrs. Scotty Bristow. She is, she's me. She represents me. She can speak for me. And everything that I have belongs to guess who? Belongs to her. This merger, the Bible talks about man and woman, when they get married, they become two. They, no, they don't become two. Those two become one. They're made into one person, one identity. 
And when we come to faith in Christ, we are sharing in his identity. And Paul describes this in Ephesians as us and Christ being like man and wife. We are one. And Paul even goes so far as to say, I'm not even talking about the relationship between man and wife becoming one person. He says, I'm using man and wife to describe what it is with us in Christ. We share in his identity so completely. We belong to him. We are him. In fact, We've said it already that we are Christians. We're bearing his name in this world. Paul says the same thing in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We are crucified with Christ, and now our life is lived in Christ, and we are in his identity. And that's something that all believers enjoy. It's not something that really good Christians enjoy and mediocre Christians don't get to enjoy. Everyone who's a Christian shares in that identity. Everyone who has looked to Christ for salvation and rests upon him and him alone shares in that identity because Christ died for us. And in one sense, Christ dies as us so that we could get the benefit. He died so we didn't have to die. He paid this debt of sins so we wouldn't have to pay it. So Paul says, you're dead. Set your affections on things above because you're dead to the world in which you live. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we shall appear with him in glory. These bodies we have, these bodies are going to die, but our souls will never die. When our body dies, our soul will be released to be with Christ. And then when Christ returns, he comes back and gives our souls brand new bodies, raises us from the dead. That's what we can expect in verse 4. That's what we can expect as Christians. Christ will appear, and so will we. Remember this little maxim from Ephesians. Where the head is, the body will be. Christ is the head, and we're the body. We're joined to him. And if the head lives, the body lives. If the head survives, the body will survive. Now, I want to talk to you for the next uh, two hours and 12 minutes about how to live as Christians. First of all, we live without lunch. (laughs) How to live as Christians. First of all, we have to set our affections in the right place. You've got to put your love in the right place. Love makes a huge difference. And when you love the Lord, when you love Christ, when you love God, you want to please Him. And you can't really, when you begin to understand the gospel, the love that you have for God will be amplified. It'll cease to be minimal and seasonal when you understand the gospel. And the good news, my friends, is that Jesus came to die not for the squeaky clean do-gooders of this world. Jesus came to die for the filthy, rotten, wicked people like you and like me. He died for sinners. He did, we, sang, uh, Psalms, we sang Psalm 109, Rock of Ages. Top lady said, nothing in my hand I bring. I have, nothing, I have no good to bring to God. Simply to the cross I cling. If my zeal, if my fire for God could never wane, could my zeal no longer know, languishing, failing, I could never live up to the, what's required. But through the gospel, through the death of Jesus Christ and his glorious resurrection, through faith in Christ, We are united to him. That's the good news is that those who cannot save themselves can be saved by the Savior, by Jesus. Now, 
Paul tells us here to set our affections on things above. He's talking to Christians. He's telling us to love God. Why is he doing that? Because our love for God kind of goes up and down. We talked about that already briefly. It kind of goes up and down. It, it's like the tide. It goes in and out. We really struggle to love God. We really struggle to love God. Over and over, the New Testament warns us, cautions us, and encourages us to keep on loving God. Keep on loving God. It's okay. I, I was, I'm, th- I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. Love, loving, God, loving God is a, is, a, is a decision you have to make almost on a daily basis, right? I'm going to love him today. I'm going to give myself to him today. When I was in college, one of our professors said, the thing we should do is every day we should go back to the cross and remember what Christ has done for us. And that's a good thing to do. You have to love him every day. You have to read this. You have to decide. It takes a decision every day. It takes a decision that doesn't rest upon emotions or butterflies. Emotion. No, emotions are emotions change. You have to continue to keep on loving. And I'll use this illustration. I've been married for, well, half, half, over half my adult life I've been married. And I can say that there are times when I love Valerie and I would and I, I do anything for her. And there are other days when I don't even want to go to the store and get a loaf of bread for her. <laughs> I mean, it's just how love goes. You, it, it, there's a struggle in love. Our affections are always, are always being pulled by other things. And so what Paul does here is he tells us we should set our, effect, our affection on things above and not on things on the earth. We have to make an intentional decision. I'm going to love God. This word set here means we have to fix our mind on a purpose. We're seeking and setting our mind on things above, our affections there. We're organizing our life. We're organizing the way we're going to go in a way that's going to help us to love God more. We have to do that because we face opposition in our life. There are many temptations. Have you ever been on a diet? You ever been on a diet? And they say, you know, well, I'm going to give up sugar, right? And what do you go home and what's your wife made or what your kids gotten for you? Some candy, some ice cream, some cake. You decide, well, I'm going to, I'm going to give, I'm just going to go keto, you know, I'm just going to eat meat, you know. And then what happens? Somebody makes fresh bread or some real gooey sweet stuff. I mean, there's all these temptations out there trying to get us to go off the path. And those temptations, they come from the devil. In the world we live in, we face opposition. We're in a, it's a conflict. In order to keep on living for God and loving God, it takes determination. It takes reminding. And it takes almost constant recommitment. Almost constant recommitment. Recommitting ourselves to Him. Because you know what's going to happen? You can, in this church service today, you can decide, I'm going to love God with all my might. I'm going to love God with every fiber of my being. You know what's going to happen before tomorrow comes? You're not going to love God like that. You're going to fall off the wagon. You're going to fail. You have to recommit to struggle. So let me ask you this question. Where is your affection this morning as a Christian? 
Is it on things above? Is it on the Lord? Do you love him with all that you can be? Or is that your ambition? Is that your aim? Is that what you're shooting for? Well, if it's not, change it. Change it. Say, why? Don't don't say, well, don't make excuses. Just change it. Realize the problem. And that's the second point. We have to admit our problems. We have to admit the difficulties here. In verses 5 to 8, Paul says, here's, here's why we have trouble loving God. Mortify, therefore, your members. This is talking about our body, about not our body per se, th- this part of our body, but the flesh, the nature of our body causes some difficulties. We have problems. And here's where these problems come from. We have all these appetites and desires that are bad, that, that they, they want us to cheat on God. So here's what we are in verses 5 to 8. I found this to be true amongst Christian people is that we have to admit that we're Christians by the grace of God and we're always Christians by the grace of God. We're not Christians because we're so good and clean. We're Christians by the grace of God and we have to admit that we got problems, that we fail, that we mess up, that we have desires that are wrong. Admit your problems. Verses 5 to 8. Here is what we are. You're a person even when you're a Christian who has been corrupted badly. And you need to face up to what you actually are. And then do what Paul says in verse 5, mortify therefore your members. What Paul does here is he describes all these sins. Fornication. That's, that's sex. And sex is... It, sometimes people act like sex is a, is, a brand, is a brand new thing people have been involved in. <laughs> but it ain't. It, it, it's, the, it's the same old sin of all, of all time. Uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil desires, covetousness. Here are the difficulties. Paul says, this is what you were. For which thing's sake, verse 6, the wrath of God cometh on the sons of disobedience. These are the things that cause God to be upset with the world. This is why Christ had to come, was because... Of the sins of man. And we're tempted to do them even as Christians. So Paul says we have to mortify. Now mortification. That's a word we don't use that often. But if you've ever been to a mortician. Or to a funeral home. You've been around mortification. What it means. Simply is to put to death. Or to consider as dead. Mortify. Therefore your members. The fleshly nature that hungers for these things. The hungers for these appetites that are wrong. This means that we have to see these things as enemies. As hindrances to our love. And kill them. I can remember when I was a kid, my, my mom, she tried all kinds of diets. And my dad, my, <laughs> it really got, I got on my dad's nerves. Because she would make food, you know, and... And it, was, it wasn't what we all wanted to eat, but we ate it because that's what mom, because mom wanted us to eat it. One time, uh, Valerie and I, we were on Weight Watchers together. This has been a long time. This has been a long time ago. And, uh, you know, Weight Watchers gives you so many points or so much food for your meal. And it goes by your weight, right? Now, I've always been heavier than Valerie. And so she's going through her little, her little chart book, you know, and, and she doles out her portion. <laughs> and I sat down at the table and she gave me my portion. I got mad. 
<laughs> I got angry because it's, it looked to me like two green beans and a piece of grass. <laughs> I mean, it was so small. I was, I was angry. And then later on, she said, I read the wrong scale. <laughs> you know, you get more points than I do. <laughs> I was so upset by that. You know, when you're, on, when you're on a diet trying to lose weight, you view, you, view, you view Snicker bars as the enemy. Milkshakes are the enemy. Cake is the enemy. A second serving is the enemy. My mom, one time, we had big dinner plates. And to help us with the battle against weight, you know, she got small plates. To psychologically mess with our mind to think, oh, we're getting a big plateful, but it's a smaller plate. All these things their people do. Paul says these things, we have to view them as enemies, these desires, these affections, these temptations. We have to see them as what they are and kill them. That kill's a strong word. And we, we use it lightly all the time. When I was a kid, I told my brother I was going to kill him probably a thousand times, you know. Killing is something very dramatic. It's very big. Mortify, reckon it dead. Put to death. I take Paul's meaning here to mean that we should seriously deal with these things. Realize what they are and how they affect us and then take a serious action to deal with them. Paul uses this term mortify. This doesn't mean that we should do weird things to our body like whack ourselves with sticks or, or, you know, poke ourselves. You know, people put rubber bands on their wrists and they snap and they snap it, you know, to get a pain reflex. It's, Paul's not saying we should do weird things like that. He says we should cognitively recognize this is a thing that's hurting me. This is a thing that's bad for me. And work at not doing it. And work at not doing it. Now, Paul is talking about affections here. He's saying this begins on the inside. With the mental determination, with the decision, with the decision. I mean, stop doing these things. We have to do, first of all, is you have to admit that there are, our affections are the cause. You know why you and me do the sins we do? Because we like them. <laughs> we love them. We love them. There are some sins that overtake people so completely that they will give up everything to pursue those sins. They'll give up everything. Everything. Think about the guy who goes down here to the casino and he's gambling. And he's losing, 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 losing. But what's he thinking in his mind? Eventually, oh man, eventually, I'll hit it. I'll hit it. I just keep on working it. He keeps on going, but he's willing to risk it all. He gets down to his last few bucks, you know? And then he kind of thinks about, how can I get a few more dollars to gamble here? Get in his wife's purse and take her money, take somebody else's money. People get addicted to drugs do the same thing. Anything to satisfy. You say, yeah, those gamblers and dopers, well, they're bad. What about the people who do other things? All these sins we love. Gossiping. Tearing down, lying, deceiving, sexual, sexual adventures, either real or imagined. All these things we do, all these little crazy things we do to get even with people. Vengeful, vindictive, maliciousness. Being willing to do anything to satisfy these things because we love them. So Paul's saying that these affections are bad. These affections are bad. 
One writer says that our inordinate affection towards sin, our crazy love for sin, is actually just another form of idolatry. Idolatry. Now, I, don't, I think we're all probably basically Midwestern people here, you know, Middle America people, Christianized to some level. How many of you would go out here and bow down before a giant uh, statue of a, of a, I don't know, of anything and worship it? Probably not many. Probably none. You wouldn't worship a false god. If I said, here's Beelzebub, here's Satan, here's Moloch, would you worship that idol? No, you wouldn't. He said, I would never do that. That's giving my affection to that idol. Sin's the same way. We give our affections to the idols. This is what Paul says, covetousness. In a parenthetical phrase, which is idolatry. These desires. Now, friends, we have to be honest about this. This is what we are. Paul is not talking to people who are not Christians. He's talking to people who are Christians. He says, if you guys are born again, you have to set your affection on things above. We know Paul's talking to Christians about their struggle with sin because Romans chapter 7, Paul says, it's like there's a law written in my members that when I don't want to sin, that I have to sin. It's like, like I'm hardwired for it. There's a struggle we have with sin. It's a struggle we have. It's difficult. Some of us, our sins are, are more obvious than other people's sins. And we beat ourselves, oh, I'm so horrible and rotten. Listen, we're all made of the same stuff. We're all sinners wrestling with the same, not the exact same sins, but we're all wrestling with sin in general. It's a conflict that we have. And Paul says, if you're a Christian, set your affection on things above, not on these things on the earth. In verses 9 to 11, Paul says, be honest with each other. I take this to be connected to what he's already said. Lie not one to another. Don't be a faker. Don't pretend to be what you're not. (laughs) Don't pretend to be what you're not. Don't pretend to be less of a sinner than you are. (laughs) Because you're a sinner. And I'm a sinner. Don't pretend to be what... We're all wrestling with it. You know, sometimes we need to know that other people are wrestling with it too. Wrestling with it too. We need to be honest in our dealings with one another. And part of that is this frank admission of of our weaknesses. Honest in our dealings with each other. We are new people after all. We have new affections. We need to put off the old way of life, Paul says. We need to think and live like the servants of God. We are God's servants. Who sets up these guidelines for the servants? Who's the boss of the servants? Well, in verse 10, it's Jesus. Put on the new man, which was renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. It's Jesus whom we should be modeling ourselves after. Jesus is our example. You see, the Bible tells us what we need to know about ourselves and the world we live in. And Jesus shows us how to live it out. To live it out. I've never met anybody who was mad at Christians because they were too Christ-like. It's always because they're too devil-like. A lot of people forget that Jesus is our role model. He's the one we are supposed to be following and emulating. Not, Not me, Not your mother or father, it's Christ. Christ is the Lord. 
It's Him who we should be following. Verse 11 tells us how we should relate with all the people who we encounter because there are so many different kinds of people. Look at verse 11. Whether there is, where, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, Christ is all and in all. This is all the people we relate to. These different terms here. Greek, Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free. These are all ethnic identities. But with every ethnic identity brings a certain kind of ethnic diversity. Is that people are all different. I'm from Illinois. People in Illinois do things differently than people in Arkansas and Oklahoma. There's all these differences. And like, you know... When I was a kid, we moved to Virginia, and we were, we were Yankees out there. And my dad's opinion, and our whole family's opinion, was that Yankees have to be better than the Confederates because who won the war? <laughs> and so there, there's, you know, our way's got to be the better way. There's these problems that come in. But in Christ, we're all made one. We're putting aside those old identities. Christ is all and in all. You know, the thing that makes me want to be with you and you with me, is Christ. We're all striving towards the same objective, to be like Christ. Look at verse 12. If we're all in Christ, all these people, these different people, different ethnicities, different diversities, different ways of being, they're all coming together in Christ. And Paul says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God. That's talking about Christ, in my opinion. Put on, therefore, as Christ. Be holy and beloved. Tender mercies. That's an updated term for X here. We find X. Bowels of mercies. Tender mercies. Kindness. Humbleness of mind. Meekness. Long-suffering. Forbearing one another. Forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. This is, this is how we're supposed to be as Christians with each other. With ourselves, we are working at being sinless. We want to put the sins out of our life and get our affections in the right place. Then in our dealings with other people, this is how we are to be. We're told what not to do, and now we're told what to do. Be this way. Put on this attitude and character of Christ. Verses 12 to 14 are talking about the internal attributes of Christ. The internal things. And it's the internal attributes that produce a beautiful person. You know, you don't have to have a beautiful countenance or great hair or magnificent skin to be a beautiful person, do you? No. You can be... You, you, you could be... I don't know how to say it. You can be ugly and beautiful at the same time (laughs) because you're a beautiful person. The world we live in is so fixed on externals and we tend to be that way as well. People can be great people. Look carefully. And may it be your prayer that the Lord will help you to be a beautiful person from the inside to the outside. Verse 14, Paul says, Above all, put on love. Love. Love for God. Love for others. 
1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7 describes what love is. This is how love looks. This is how love lives. This is how love loves. Then in verses 15 to 17, he tells us we should live at peace. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you're also called in one body, and be ye thankful. Live at peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Live at peace. Be thankful for them. Be thankful for the oneness that you enjoy. Be thankful. Live at peace. Verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I take this probably to be referring to the scriptures. Let the scriptures dwell in you richly. Spend time with God's word. God's word is is worth your time. It's worth the investment of reading it, looking up words, reading a few books. It's worth it to know something about it. Live a life. Live a life that truly says, look what Christ has done. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father and the Father by Him. Do things with your life. Do things with your opportunities that honor Jesus. Do it in Jesus' name. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. What, what, if I get, what if I get Brian over here and I say, Okay, Brian, I'm going to treat you in a special way. In Jesus' name! <laughs> that, 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 that's the opposite of, of what we're supposed to do. Live a life, behave in a way that it's, it's, it can be done in Jesus' name. In the, for the glory of Christ. And that's not just in, you know, physical altercations. <laughs> that's, in, that's in all the areas of our life. Every part of our life. Live a life that can be attributed to the glory of Christ, that we've glorified and honored Christ by these things. Now here's the conclusion. Let us who are in Christ, let us rotten sinners who have believed the gospel, let us be serious about living our lives in a way that honors Christ. It begins with affections. Setting our affections on things above. Setting our affection on God. Loving God with our heart, all our heart, mind, and soul. And to those of you who are not in Christ, I want you to think about believing in Jesus as your Savior. I'm not asking you to believe in Christians because Christians are going to let you down. You're going to meet, you're going to, if you're around Christians, you're going to meet different kinds. You're going to meet people who are real Christians, who really are following Christ. You're going to, have to meet people who are not that great of Christians. You're going to meet some Christians who are not really good Christians at all. You wonder if they even are a Christian. I'm not asking you to put your faith in Christians. Put your faith in Christ. Christ is the perfect Savior. He will never let you down. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray together. Then we're going to sing a final hymn, and then we'll be dismissed from the worship service. 392 in your hymnal. 392. There is a fountain filled with blood. Let's stand together while we sing. (coughs) Thank <coughs> you.